Great to see you all. Welcome. Glad you are here. Hope you've been enjoying these beautiful summer days. We could have had service outside today. It was just spectacular. So thanks for coming in for worship. As you know, last week we began a series on revival, renewal. And what we know to be true is that if we're going to start the Christian life well, run well, and finish well, that we are going to need points of renewal along the way. That's true for us individually. That's also true for us as a congregation. Local churches that are on mission for God, like Union Chapel, we need to be renewed. We need fresh wind. We need fresh fuel from time to time. And we're hoping that these messages and these services will be meaningful in that way. And of course, it won't take long for us at all to gain consensus about the need in our culture at large for a move of God. Would you agree? America needs a touch of God, a, re a renewing sense of his presence. So we are here and we are trusting God for that uh, fresh opportunity to experience his life in us. Thanks for bringing your Bibles with you this morning. We're going to look today at the New Testament book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to read the first 16 verses of a parable that Jesus told about a certain owner of a vineyard who hired some workers and then paid them at the end of the day. And I think we have uh, much we can learn from this important, important story. So if you're able, please stand to hear God's word. And we'll project the words on the screen, of course, if you don't have your Bibles handy. These are the words of Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only an hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. May God inspire us today through this powerful word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now, you all know the Peanuts cartoon strip, right, from Charles Schultz. You know, Charles has passed on now, but his brilliance and his creativity has uh, continued to instruct and entertain us uh, for all these decades. In one of the comic strips, Peanut comic strips, we see two of the characters, which you'll recognize. One is Snoopy, the beagle dog, the happy dog, Snoopy, and his friend Woodstock. This little yellow bird of paradise, if you will. And they are engaged. Snoopy says, someday Woodstock is going to be a great eagle. Woodstock's chest swells a little bit. 
Next frame. He's going to soar a thousand feet above the earth. <laughs> Third frame. Woodstock takes off. And of course, he's not doing too well. He's wobbly in the air, and you can kind of see his path. His wings are flying all over the place, and he's kind of up and down. He never gets more than two or three feet off the ground. <laughs> Next frame, Snoopy's having second thoughts. And he says, maybe he will soar 200 feet above the earth. Next frame, Woodstock plummets to the earth. He's lying there on his back, his nose and his belly pointing skyward, his wings still twitching. <laughs> on the ground and Snoopy Snoopy finally says in the last frame well maybe he'll just be one of those eagles that walks around on the earth and there's the story and it's obviously humorous and fun-loving but listen to this point here that can you hear this statement if you'll listen it isn't it amazing how quickly we settle for less than is promised and less than is possible. It's curious to me, interesting, how quickly we tend to settle in our lives and through our lives less than what is promised and less than what is possible. I want you to think about that as we work our way through this important parable of Jesus. Now, this story would be a very familiar setting to people in first century Israel. This was a common practice where people would gather at a certain location within the confines of a town or village, and they would wait there for someone to come and hire them for the day. And these could be landowners or construction workers or whomever. This is still a common practice in many parts of the world. And so Jesus tells the story of this vineyard owner who goes to this gathering place, and he begins hiring people, and he hires people all the way through the day until the end of the day when it comes time to receive the pay. And the foreman is instructed, I want you to pay first those who work the least, those who came last. So those who came by about five o'clock in the afternoon only worked an hour, pay them first. And he paid them a denarius. And so the folks who'd been there all day through the heat of the day, working all day long, they saw that the people who were receiving a day's wage for one hour's work thought, well, we're going to get more. But when they step up, they too receive a denarius. And now their optimism and hope turns to anger. And they don't like it. And they say, well, wait a minute, this isn't fair. This isn't right. I mean, they only worked an hour. You gave them the same. We worked all day. And you can kind of feel that, can't you? You can feel that. But Jesus wasn't really talking about someone who had un been unjustly compensated for their, for their due diligence and work. What Jesus is trying to communicate in this story is something far more important than that. What Jesus is reminding us of in this story, and it's pretty clear from a legalistic judicial kind of perspective that what Jesus is saying is it doesn't really matter when you come into the kingdom, when you come into faith in Jesus Christ. What matters is that you come in. And that at the end of the day, at the end of time, at the end of all things, everyone will be compensated equally as long as you came in. And so that the first point I want to make, and I want to make this clear to us, is that the grace of God is not deserved. The grace of God is not deserved. It's on your outline there. Write down the word deserved because nobody deserves God's grace. 
And so the point that Jesus is making is this. Look, you can, you can believe in Jesus as a child and live your whole life in a, in a relatively noble and honorable way and be a good little boy and good little, little girl all the way to the end of your life. And, you know, you know, kudos to you. You know, you get a star next to your name. I mean, that's all great. But it doesn't change positionally your relationship with God. Compared to the person who may live a riotous life all the way to the end of their life, and then at the very end, the last minute, the last hours of their life, say, you know, God, I'm sure I'm sorry for this mess I made of my life. Would you forgive me? An amazing thing happens in a moment like that. Because the grace of God, which is given to us, as it turns out, has not been earned. It has not been deserved. It has not been merited because of all the good things that we've done. But it is a gift that God gives us. For it is by grace have you been saved through faith, not the result of works, lest any man should boast. And so we hear this wonderful truth of the gift of God, the love of God, the acceptance of God, the forgiveness of God given to each one of us as we respond in faith to the deepest need of our life, which is the need to be forgiven of our sins. And so we, we find amazing grace. There are illustrations of this concept in other stories that Jesus told. You remember the story of the prodigal son, the younger of two sons, asks his father for his inheritance. He wants it early, so the father gives it to him, and he goes off and ruins it in riotous living. And after he's out of money, he comes to his senses. He returns home, and what does the father do? He opens his arms. He opens his heart. He receives the son back home. Uh, they kill the fatted calf, he puts the robe on his shoulders, they throw a big party, and life is good because the loving father has responded to the son who's come home with love and acceptance and forgiveness. And everything's great and grand in this wonderful story, proving the wonderful grace of God available to anyone, no matter your background, your story, your patterns, except for one guy in the family. Remember him? He was not happy. The older brother. The older brother said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been here the whole time, I've been good and decent, noble, loyal. And I can't remember the last time you threw me a party. What's the deal? And so you can see that he's a little agitated by it. And in, in a natural setting, you could understand why there might be some resentment or bitterness or, or, or some kind of confusion in a moment like that. But that's not the point of the story. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that it doesn't really matter when you come to faith, only that you come. There's another story, even more poignant, I believe. Jesus, as you'll remember, hung on the cross between two thieves. And as Jesus was being crucified, members of the crowd were hurling insults at him and scorning him and scoffing at him. Soldiers took up the, the chant as well. And finally, one of the thieves on either side of the cross of Jesus he joins in and he turns to Jesus and says, yeah, if you're all that, if you're a Messiah, if you've got power that no one else has, then get yourself down from this mess and take us with you. But the other thief on the other side of the cross, he looks at, the, at his cohort thief and says, what is the matter with you? He said, don't you know we deserve what's happening to us? We're getting the just rewards of our own sin. We deserve to be punished. But this man who's dying with us today, he has done nothing wrong. 
and deserves not this punishment. And so then the thief on the cross turns to Jesus. Let me ask you something. Would you consider the thief on the cross like a deathbed confession? Would you, yeah, by the end of the day, these boys are dead. They're dead. They're done. Party is over. They're dead. They got nothing else. Got nothing, nothing more to live for, not in this life. And so this guy's at the end. And he looks at Jesus and he asks this question. He said, please remember me in your kingdom. Wow. And what does Jesus say to this guy? No way, man. You've lived your whole life as a wreck, as a mess. You've been rebellious and a knothead. And you've broken the law and you're nothing but a common thief. You deserve to die and probably end up in hell. That's what you deserve. And the thief would have gone, yeah, I, yeah, I guess you're right. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, no, this very day, you, you thief, you, you guy with a story, you guy with a history, you guy with background, you guy with woundedness, you guy with baggage, you, you, you with that story of yours, this very day, he said, you'll be with me in paradise. Now listen, now friends, I don't know what you get from that, but let me tell you why it's good news. The good news is that no matter when you come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, it's always the right time for you. And, and the fact is, when we get, we get higher altitude and we look down on the whole of humanity, some people come early, some people come late, but the, but, the, but the truth of it is, we all came late. We all come late. We all come late to faith. Listen, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us comes short of God's best plan. We all fail to measure up to God's standard. That's just the state that every one of us find ourselves in. And we can say, well, I lived as a good little girl and a good little boy for a long time. Great. Good for you. And they might, you know, they might give you a special ribbon at the banquet someday. That'll be great. But the good news is that you're there. The good news is that the grace of God has been poured out on all of humanity, and the love of God now invites us all into this amazing love and grace and forgiveness. It's not something you earn. It's something undeserved as a gift of God. And as it turns out, we all come to that late. We all came late. We all came late. All right, you got that? Now, that's, that's one part of the story, and it's the most obvious part of this parable. It's kind of the legal side, the judicial side. But there's another side. I bet you've not thought about it before. And this is the redemptive side. It leads to my second thought, and it's this. God can redeem everything in your life. Can, do you have an ear for that? God can redeem. Now, what does it mean to redeem? It just means to... It means to recover, restore, correct, bring to wholeness everything in your life. I, f I feel your pushback. You said, no, there's some things, God, no, you can't fix that. Can't heal that. Can't recover from that. Can't get over that. Can't get past that. And everybody has a store, and everybody has these moments that are painful and difficult and disappointing. They're crisis. They're crushing. But I'm here to announce to you today this truth. God has the power to redeem everything in your life. 
make everything old, stale, damaged, rotten, fruitless, suddenly bring it to newness of life. He can redeem everything in your life. He can turn every crooked thing, make it straight. He can take every weakness and make it a strong point in your life. He can take the very thing that the devil, the world, and your own poor choices conspired to destroy you with, and he can turn that around and bring life out of it to you and through you. God can redeem everything in your life. And only God has the potency for that. I mean, we, we try. I mean, we, you know, if it was up to us, we'd already gotten recovered from some of this stuff, but we can't. So God's the only one that has the real strength and power, capacity to do that. And so I want to appeal to you to reach out to, to him. Now, how do we drive that from this story? Watch this. The reason that these people were paid at the end of the day is for one reason. They, they did the work, of course, some little, some a lot. But the primary reason that I want to focus on right now that they were paid is because, watch it, because they weren't slaves. They were free. Everybody knows that if you're a slave, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to someone else, your property. And so you do what you're told. Your life is not your own. And, of course, you're not compensated for the work. It's just something that you are required to do in order to stay alive. But a person who's free, a person is free, is a free person to act and decide and choose. And so they get in the marketplace and they do their work and they're compensated for their work because they are free. They were paid because they weren't slaves. Some of these guys came to work early. Some of these guys came to work late, but they were all paid the same. And what we learn from this is that Jesus will actually redeem Every part of our lives, past, present, and future, the redemptive power and potency of Jesus is available to us throughout the story of our lives. Just like a pebble that you drop into the water, it ripples out in all directions, and the redeeming, healing, forgiving, restoring, empowering grace of God then meets you at every point of your life, past, present, and future. He can redeem everything. You remember the Israelites were in Egyptian bondage. They were slaves for 400 years until the Exodus and Moses is raised up as this deliverer. You remember the story? And God sends Moses into Egypt and Pharaoh now is confronted with these plagues and God inch by inch extricates his people, Israel, out of Egyptian bondage, out of slavery, these four centuries of slavery. And when Pharaoh finally gives permission for the Israelites to leave, you'll remember that there was one act that the Israelites engaged in before they left, and that is they plundered Egypt. You remember that? All of the precious metals, all of the valuable assets of Egypt, the Israelites took with them out of bondage. One Jewish rabbi said, one Jewish rabbi said uh, they got all their back wages. 400 years of free labor got all their back wages. Now watch this. Why did they get all their back wages? Why is anyone ever paid? The reason that they were paid is that even though they were enslaved and in bondage, God always saw them free. God, through God's eyes, he always saw the potential that they had and the freedom that he had inclined them to. 
and that he had prepared them for. So God always saw them free, and it's true for us. Even when you were in the thickest, deepest mess of your life, you may be in the thickest, deepest mess right now, someone in this room. Even in the midst of that, you say, I couldn't be more bound up. I couldn't be more hindered. I couldn't be more hampered in my desire to follow Jesus. Here's something that's true about you. Even in the midst of that, God, today, God looks at you and he sees you free. He sees you liberated. He sees you available. He sees you willing. He sees you empowered. He sees you whole. God sees you free. Because God can redeem anything. He can redeem everything in your life. And he sees you free. You are more than, than you think you are. Hmm? You're, you are important to God. You don't, you don't remember this, but by God's authority, God said this. This is in the book. God said that he numbers the hairs on our head. He said there's not a sparrow that falls from the sky that God does not take an account of. And in that context, the book says, and you are much more valuable than the sparrow. People are easily filled with self-doubt and insecurity and this desperate wondering if they're ever going to be free again or be valuable in the service of God, in the hands of God to influence the world for his name. And I want to encourage you today to know that God has a plan for you, and even in the midst of the bondage that you may be experiencing right now, God sees you free, and God has a plan for you. That's a, this is good preaching right there. Now, there's all kinds of movement right now, sociological, political, worldview movement going on in our world, and there's all kinds of people talking about, you know, human potential and and, and the liberty that human beings should have, and don't repress me with the, all of your ancient religious nonsense, and blah, 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 and all the voices are yapping, and all of these huge uh, epic, epic shifts in culture taking place in this postmodern, post-Christian world, and we, and we all get that. And one of, the, one of the messages we're being told is that human beings aren't any different than any other living creatures in the world. That's one of the clear and obvious messages. That a, that a rock is a tree, is a bug, is a boy. And that that bird has as much value as that little child over there. It's insane. It's crazy time in the world. And sometimes you wonder about your own value and your own worth and your own importance in the world. And when I start getting wobbly about that, I always refer to Psalm chapter 8. Because the psalmist writes there, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? I mean, why does, why does God even notice us, let alone care about us? And that's what the psalmist asks. Human beings that you care for them. But then he writes, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. One translation says you've made human beings just a little lower than yourself, a little lower than God. And in the hierarchy, the, the organ, org chart of hierarchy in the created order, there's God and the Trinity, and then there's human beings. There's us. So what about angels? What about archangels? There's some big, powerful beings that God has. Wait a minute. The Bible actually teaches us that we will one day stand in judgment of the angels. We, in general, in the world in which we live right now, and the messages that we are hearing from 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 folks who have separated and isolated themselves from, 
from absolute truth contained in God's revelation through Jesus Christ. The voices are telling us, you're no different than anything else. Slow down. Stop thinking of yourself as anything important or powerful or influential. You have no more authority than that bird or that beast or that bee. And what I want to tell you is that the Christian worldview is, what the Bible teaches, is that human beings have been given enormous status in the world. We have been made in the image and likeness of God, and therefore God has designed us with incredible potential. We, we have been given an, a level of influence that we, for the most part, totally underestimate. And this is especially poignant in the church. I'm not talking about political power. I'm not talking about some kind of nationalistic religion. I'm not talking about reclaiming America for Christ and blah, blah, you know, and that whole genre. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living an authentic Christian life that influences other human beings here and around the world in a way that wants people to be hungry and thirsty for the things that God has designed us for. There's something better, there's something else, there's something more that God has designed us for. And we have been given that potential. God has placed it within us. And he wants us to realize that potential. So there is a place in God's heart that only you can fill. There's a place in God's heart that only you can fill. Do you dare personalize that statement? There is a place in God's heart that only I can fill. I wonder if you'd be bold enough to say that out loud with me. There's a place in God's heart that only I can fill. Say it with me. There's a place in God's heart that only I can fill. Can that be true? That's true. Let's say it one more time. There's a place in God's heart that only I can fill. Wow. If you were the only person in the world... God would have sent his son to die for you. Mm -hmm. God loves you as though you were the only person in the world to love. You're not the only person in the world to love, but if you were the only person, he loves you as if you were the only person in the world. That's how much devotion, tension he gives you. Listen, God's grace is not deserved. All of us came late. All of us are the beneficiaries of an amazing gift that God alone has provided for us, and we will be eternally grateful for that gift. And in the same context, the same power that set us free liberated us from the power of sin and death. The same power that did that also liberates us from our past and our present and our future. He redeems everything in our lives. And once we come to terms with that truth, then we can then we can take the next step and admit to ourselves and begin to live as if, and this is the third point in my message, it's never too late. It's never too late for you. It is never too late for you to grab a hold of your dreams. It is never too late for you to fulfill the purpose and destiny that God has given your life. It is never too late. As long as you have life and breath, God is willing and, and, and wanting to use you and to cause you to influence the world around you. It's never too late. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't compromise. Don't equivocate. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for us. God is not finished with us yet. The best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's never too late. I heard the story of an elderly bachelor and an old maid. I mean, they were, they were getting on in years, and they found each other 
and developed a friendship, and they began to enjoy each other's company immensely. She would sit and knit or sew, and he would rock in his chair. One afternoon, he heard himself involuntarily, just kind of uncontrollably, say these words. I mean, he was such a quiet man, so reserved. But he heard these words come out of his mouth. He said, you know, why don't we get married? And she looked up and giggled, and she said, that's a perfectly wonderful idea, but who would have us? <laughs> now think about that. It's easy to sink into that kind of self-understanding, isn't it? When you begin to feel yourself slipping back into discouragement or depression or old patterns, when you, when you sense failure is around the corner or the possibility of failure, and we, we say, oh, here I go again, going down in this spiral. I've seen this before, experienced this before. It's so easy just to somehow diminish yourself and the potential that God's given you. I have a friend who told me about a Nepali village where Sherpas put their services uh, in the market for people who want to scale the highest peak in the world, Mount Everest. And as you know, it's in the Himalayan range there, just on the border of Nepal and Tibet, 29,000 feet tall, 250 plus people have died trying to climb Mount Everest. Uh, anything above 26,000 feet is called the death zone. There's not enough oxygen at that level to sustain human life. I mean, you've got to carry your oxygen with you just to stay alive. It is, uh, I suppose, the most uh, rigorous adventure that you can find on the earth. And so here, here's this village where these men and women have been raised in high altitude, and these Nepali, these Nepali men have uh, like been genetically engineered to climb, climb these mountains, and they're called Sherpas, and they offer their services, and it's, it's really how they stimulate their local economy and how make a living. And my friend shared two signs that are in one of these Nepali villages with these Sherpas offering their services. And one side read, $11,000 per climber. $11,000 per climber. And it was, a big, it was the bigger sign, indicating that if you want to attempt to summit Everest, It'll cost you $11,000 for the services of our local Sherpas per climber in order to get up there. Some people speculate it costs about $100,000 all total to try to get up to the top of Everest per climber. So it's an expensive proposition as well as rigorous physically. There's a secondary sign, though, next to that one that said $11,000 per climber. And the secondary sign, it was smaller, it was lower, it was there off to the side, and it read discounts for lesser summits. Discounts for lesser summits. And my hope today is to so encourage and stimulate and inspire you. Those of you who have come to believe in your life that that's probably about the best you're going to be able to do, that your life has been discounted because of bad decisions and bad moments and failure in your life. 
and that you're really never going to be able to climb to the top of whatever mountain God called you to. You're going to have to settle for some lesser summit. Some lesser summit because of your past, because of your story. And as I say, I want to either shake you and inspire you to think that you can make it and climb whatever mountain God puts in front of you, or just shake you to wake you up to your potential. Listen to me, friends. The most horrible thing that you can die with is your potential. You don't want to come to the last of it and say, woulda, coulda, shoulda. You want to live. You want to live in the freedom that God has purchased for you, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. In the second inaugural address, President Abraham Lincoln, clearly the finest statesman that this country has ever produced, he stood before the nation just months before his own assassination. And on the edge, back edge of the horrible and bloody civil war, he defied the nation to ever interpret the sacrifice made by so many Americans in this civil conflict, not to be taken in vain. He said there are many Americans who believe that the blood that has been shed by citizens and slaves and soldiers in the Civil War has been a waste. But he eloquently reminded the nation, and we are reminded to this day, that Almighty God would not let it be so. And that Almighty God would not allow one drop of blood shed and sacrificed for that particular cause to restore this nation and to stabilize it and unify it once again. And it was a strong message to the nation then. And God speaks a similar message to us today that God will not waste one drop of the blood of Jesus Christ until it has satisfied the needs of your life and my life and our lives. And that the efficacy and the potency and the power of the work, finished work of Jesus Christ is sufficient for us to wash away all of our sins, to liberate us from whatever holds us back from God's best, and to set us free to climb all of the summits that God places in front of us because we are free to do so, and we realize it's never too late, and we have been bought and purchased with a price, and if it was up to us, we would have failed a long time ago, but God is with us, and because he is with us, we can do all things by his strengthening power. Well, Lord, I hope you'll hear that today. I hope you will embrace that, imagine that to be true, and pray that God will meet you at the point of your need. This is how I've been praying all week for you that God, by His Spirit, will meet each one of us in these services at the very point of your need. Some of you are strong and need to be strengthened still. Some of you are weak, 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 and just need grace to make it into the next day. Wherever the point of your need may be, I submit to you today, God's grace is sufficient and that He can redeem everything in your life. So be encouraged. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for this amazing truth. Thank you for the scope of redemption and that we're all latecomers. We all come late. We're all in the same boat. We need your grace, God. 
None of us deserve any of this. And so we receive the free gift of your grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we thank you for your, your redemptive work that not only removes our sin, but also restores our lives, healing, restoring, empowering. Thank you, God, for the work of your Spirit to redeem us. And now, Lord, remind us that it's never too late and that you call all of us to significant things, significant things. And so, Lord, in this truth, help us to receive the grace we need. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.